This morning, I'd like to speak concerning the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Christ was here in physical form, and when he left, he said, as a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, uh, it, it is references record the record with Peter in his account with Peter that upon Christ asked him, Who do you say that I am? And he said that you are the Son of the living God. And God made this statement. He said that flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my spirit has. God has revealed that truth to him. And this is an important statement, I believe, that we need to take, uh, take uh, conscious aware of because there's, we can learn so much of the scripture, we can memorize books, and we can memorize the whole book, as a few people across the world has done. But without the Spirit of God teaching you what God has to say in His Word, you'll only know the mechanics of it. You'll only know the historical events. But God has spiritual truth that He wants to share with you. One of the building blocks of the Scripture and I say this, and many of those that are listening already know this, but there might be others that have not. You might need to remember this. But one of the building blocks that God has used in his word uh, to, 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 to give his word out and to make his will known is my way of covenants, my agreements that he's made with different individuals. And those are important. That's a building block in God's word. But then there's another thing that, that's a building block in God's word, and it's, it's called a type. A type, if you're not familiar with that term, it's, it's a picture. It, it, types appear in the Old Testament. It's a picture of something that's going to come, a person, a place, an event, happening and it's picturing something that's going to take place in the future. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 starts, Moreover, brethren, I would, uh, I would not that ye should be ignorant of all that our fathers uh, were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. They were all baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They did all eat the same spiritual meat, namely manna and quail, and uh, did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock. Now, if you read uh, the account of Israel going through the wilderness, if you've read uh, the account in the book of Exodus, You'll notice that they needed water, obviously, and God gave them water, and he gave it uh, by Moses, told Moses to strike a rock, and that rock gave forth water. That was physical water, but that was a, a picture, a type of Christ who would come later. So that's a type. Now notice what it says here. 
within, within the passage. They drank the same spiritual drink, they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples. The Greek word there is tupos, from which we get the word type. It's an example. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither that we should be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of, uh, of serpents. Neither murmur, ye, uh, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, tupas. They happened to them for examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age are come. They're written and recorded for us. These, they're building blocks that uh, uh, pictures that we are to see that there was a spiritual truth. There was some other truth. It wasn't just that happening. There was something that was significant about that event that God wanted to show us and he would reveal to us. Now the Spirit of God is the one that will open our hearts to see that, our spiritual eyes to see, and our spiritual ears to hear the truth and understand the spiritual teaching that is with it. And these are building blocks that God has used in constructing his word and to, to, to and God uses those to, uh, to that only the Spirit of God can teach us the spiritual truth of that. And we have to go to the Spirit of God. Now, I want to say that because I want to use that as just laying a small foundation to what we're going to see in the message today about the body of Christ. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 will be our text. And we'll start with Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And there are five verses that we'll look at, but we'll just start with the first two verses. Here the Apostle Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now there's so much that we can get out of the English words that are translating the, Hebrew, uh, the Greek and the Hebrew words that we find in the Word of God. But now here, in, in verse 1, he talks about our reasonable service. It's our reasonable service. The, the word for service can also be used in its translated worship. The presenting of our bodies, the picture is 
takes us back again into the Old Testament in the sacrificial system. And in that sacrificial system, we find that, that, that the people were required to bring an animal sacrifice. And that animal sacrifice would be, uh, they had five sacrifices. Go, on, go back to the book of Leviticus, chapter 1. You read about the five sacrifices that, that the Israelites were to make unto the Lord. And so, uh, in those sacrifices, the, the life of the animal was taken and the animal's body was placed upon an altar. It was a total offering unto the Lord. And here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it talks about us offering our body in that sense unto God. And here in this verse, it says it's our reasonable service, or it's a reasonable way in which we can worship the Lord. We, that's a part of worship. It, sometimes we think uh, that worshiping God, you know, it has to be done in a church. It has to be done in a special, special way in a setting and everything. Our life is to be a life of worship unto the Lord. And then he tells us in verse 2, he goes on and he says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Now we can camp there for a while. And one focal point that I have in this passage is the will of God. How important is it for us to know the will of God? And then to do the will of God. The only way that you're going to know this is, be, is going to rest upon you, number one, hearing messages, but number two, reading God's word for yourself because you're not going to find out all the truths in reference to the will of God in life apart from his word, apart from his spirit, you need more than just what you hear through a message. Because a message does not carry all the things that we need to know. There are bits and pieces there that are good and necessary and needful. But when you get in the word of God for yourself and you start to read the word of God and the spirit of God begins to open your mind and your heart your eyes and your ears, you begin to see things and understand things in a much more clear way because the Spirit of God is going to teach you. He will stir your inner, the inner you that you might know and understand what the Word of God is, what the will of God is. Now, we can go back and if you would, go back uh, to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, in chapter 33, we're wrapping up just about the last part of uh, Israel's journey. This is Moses at Mount, at the Mount Moriah, and he's, he's giving forth uh, 
his last words. He speaks about things that are about to happen and what has happened in the past. And he makes mention here in verse 21, well, verse 20, and of Gad, he said. Now he went down the line and he mentioned, uh, here he's mentioned the, the different uh, leaders of the tribes uh, that made up the 12 tribes of Israel. And he comes to Gad, and he's talking about Gad. Now in the book of Numbers, we have the conquest, the initial conquest of the land. And what things started. But here in 20, uh, verse 20, it says, And of Gad he said, Blessed be he that enlargeth Gad. He dwelleth as a lion, and teareth the arm with a crown, uh, with a crown of the head. And he provided the first part for himself. Because there in a uh, in a portion uh, of the lawgiver was, a, uh, was he seated. And he came with the heads of the, uh, of the people and he executed the justice of the Lord and his judgments with Israel. Well, if, if we go back, and if you take a Bible dictionary and you read up on uh, Gad, you would find uh, that Gad was an interesting man. He was the seventh son of Jacob. He was the firstborn of Zilpha. Zilpha was a handmaid of Leah, one of Jacob's wives. And so uh, here's where Gad comes on the scene. But Gad was, he was a warrior like. He enjoyed fighting. Matter of fact, there's a group of his men later on, centuries past. And later on, a group of his men from that tribe, they went and they joined David when he was king and he was running from Saul. They joined up with David. They, they were warriors. They were fighters. And when it came to the conquest of, of uh, the initial conquest of the land, he, his portion of, of in the inheritance on the east side of the Jordan that he chose he got. But that was just the beginning of the fighting that went on in the conquest of the land. But it was he that, that went ahead and he, the stipulation was that when, when he got his portion of the land, he could not live there until after he helped the rest of the tribes secure their portions of the land, of their inheritance. So he left and he went and all of his fighting men went with Israel and they went in to help the others to conquer the land. They all had a part. It, it, was, a, it was a clan thing. It was a communitive thing. It was all of Israel had to partake in the conquest of the land. It wasn't that you got your, once you got your portion, then, then, no, then everybody else had to go get their own. No, he had to help every one of the other tribes secured their portion of the land, and they all did. It was a group thing. And, and to me, as I look at this, it, it becomes an example, it becomes a type, an ensample of what God had pictures and how he pictures the church, the body of Christ. 
We're here as the body of Christ. We're not alone. We're not an individual. We're collective. We are individuals, but we're not to operate as an individual. We have different portions that make up our body between the fingers, uh, the hands, the arms, the toes. But, but our body is all connected together of individual pieces. But our body cannot function as it was designed to function for the individual parts. You might have watched some movies where, where you've seen the hand. It was just the hand. And you, you didn't see anything but, but, but the hand going here and there doing all sorts of nonsense. Well, well, that's not real. That's not real. That's not how life really is. That's not a good example of how the church works. No, we're a body that works together. To know the will of God. The nation of Israel was a nation. Made up of many tribes, the 12 tribes. Hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people. And they had to go in as a group to possess the land. That was God's will. That was God's will for them at that time. That specific aspect. Then it was also God's will that after they conquered all the land, that the individual tribes would go back to their allotted inheritance, and then they would have to finish the job in their area. But they didn't. They didn't finish it. They didn't finish the fight. The main, the, the main obstacle to them was taken care of. But then there were the little things in their life, in, in that area, in their areas that had to be dealt with. And that's very much a picture of, of what goes on within Christian life. We're born again. And we get the Spirit of God. We, we get access to the Word of God. And the Spirit of God teaches us the truth of His Word. And then... What do we do? Uh, there, we need to clean house. God begins to clean that house. He begins to clean up our lives. And we see uh, uh, things dropping by the wayside uh, one at a time, maybe a group at a time. But over the whole course of life, God is changing us. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens a little at a time. And so it says in verse 2, Be not conformed to this world. Having been born into this world and lived into this world for however many years uh, you lived in the world before you got saved, you learned, under the bondage of Satan, you learned the ways of the world. And now God wants to get the world out of us. Like Israel, he took them out of Egypt, he delivered them out of Egypt, and he went down, the, they went to Mount Sinai, and there at Mount Sinai, God gave them the laws and the rules that, that they were to live by to please him in order to be in good standing with him. 
But that took time. It took time to God, for God to get, he got them out of Egypt, but now he had to get Egypt and the ways of Egypt out of them. And that took time. But God had a plan. He had a plan. He had to do this. He had to accomplish that job before they could go into the land and possess the land that God had promised them, their inheritance. And the truth is very much similar to us in our life. We've been in the world and we still are in the world, but and the world has a way of just sticking to us. And it begins, the first part begins in our minds. And it says here in verse two, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our thinking needs a change. We need to think God's thoughts. We need to know what God wants us to think and to do. We need to know, according to this, to know the perfect will of God, we have to be attached to God and attached to his word. And we need to sit under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that God through his spirit will teach us his word. Do you want that? Are you that concerned about the things of God that you want that more than anything that the world has to offer unto you? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That transfer, transformation, the renewing of the mind must take place. It has to take place if you're going to know the perfect will of God. That's where it starts. It starts with our thinking. Remember the Old Testament quote that God's ways are not our ways. Our ways are not God's ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. His thoughts and his ways are far above our ways. Can we get to know those? Can we get to know that kind of truth? Well, I believe we can. I believe we can because it's recorded in his word. We can know the perfect will of God. What is the will of God for each one of us? Well, one thing that we know is the will of God is in back in Romans chapter 8. It says in verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. We can know that. Oh, we can read it and just know the words. We can memorize the verse. But no, we can know this in the spiritual teaching of it. This is God's love for us. We love God. Then verse 29, For whom he did for know, he also did predestinate. And it, Boy, that, that's a big theological term that many get confused over and many have, theologians have stumbled over. Just put down predetermined. I 
think that's a little clearer for our understanding. God predetermined that we be conformed to the image. To the image of who? To the image of his son. That is the will of God. That is one particular aspect of the will of God for you and for me. To be conformed to the image of his son. What does God want you and me to look like? What does God want our thoughts to be like? The same kind of thinking that Christ had. You remember that this recording book of Philippians, I, Christ thought it was not robbery to be equal with God. Because he was equal with God. He was God. God in flesh. He didn't think it was robbery to be equal with God, but he surrendered himself in human flesh. He emptied himself of all his godly abilities, and he took on flesh just like you and me. Another amazing verse is spoken of that, that Christ learned obedience. He learned obedience by the things that he suffered. We have to learn obedience. Obedience doesn't just happen naturally. Man, I know has a dog, and, and the dog is, is young, it's a pup, and it, uh, just a bundle of energy. But the dog has to learn obedience. One of the means that the dog learns obedience, you can get a training collar. And when the dog has some activity that, uh, that it's doing naturally, that you don't want it to do, that can be detrimental, you can push a button and it'll send a little shock, just a little zap to the dog. And it'll get the dog's attention. After a while, the dog learns with that activity comes that zap, and with that zap, that's unpleasantness. And so eventually the dog will break that habit. He will learn obedience. Might be a little painful to start with, but he will learn obedience over time. Christ learned obedience. Why would God have to learn obedience? No, Christ learned obedience. That, that speaks about his, his physical, true physical nature. He was very much physical. But yet he was very much God. God is spirit. God is not a spirit. God is spirit. And so when we look at these, these matters concerning the will of God, even Christ in the flesh learned the will of God, and, but he committed himself to the will of God above everything else. And I think back on what I mentioned earlier about James Dwight with his grandmother. He said she lived, her life was lived around the matter of prayer. That was her life goal. That was her life desire, was prayer. Spending time with God in prayer. 
out on too many Americans or other nationals of different countries that, that are committed to birth. But there are people like that spread around the world and they make a difference with God because of their prayer life. God hears them. God, God acts. He sends angels to take, take care of uh, the different things that, that, that come with, uh, with the acts of, uh, that, that need to be done, that, that people want to accomplish. Prayer makes a difference because God hears prayer. But we need to know the perfect will of God. Now, when we look at uh, the terms that are mentioned there, uh, what is the good? The will of God is good. Another word that, that, that will uh, go along with that is the word, it's a benefit. It will benefit us to know and do the will of God. It will be a benefit to us. Not only us, but it will be a benefit to others. And then he said, it's acceptable. The renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and the acceptable. There is things that God has that is acceptable to him. There is a way of living a life that is acceptable to him. And we need to know that. His will is acceptable. His will is good. It's profitable. It's beneficial. It's acceptable. That, mean, that means it's well-pleasing. That same Greek term can be translated well-pleasing. It's fully agreeable to what God has in store. And then it's perfect. And the word for perfect there, it means it's complete. You don't have to add anything else to it. And God's word is that the will of God is such. It is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. It will benefit us. It'll be well-pleasing and fully agreeable to God. And it'll be complete. And that's what God, God's will is. And one of the things God's will is, is what we've already pointed out, is that we be conformed into the image of his son. How's your confirmation taking place? How are you changing? Is your life more like Christ? I don't mean doing miracles like he did. I'm talking about having the heart, having a heart where he stood on the mountain, he looked over Jerusalem and he wept because he saw that there were people there like sheep without shepherd. And that broke his heart. How do we see the people around us in the world? We need to have that kind of vision. We need to have that kind of heart. That needs to be our heart. That's God's heart. God so loved the world that he gave. Is our heart level in tune with God's heart level that we're willing to give? We're willing to, as Romans 12, 1 says, we're to present our bodies, we're willing to present our bodies above everything else. 
I like what the Apostle Paul said when we read the record back in Acts chapter 8 and chapter 9. But when, when Paul saw the Lord, he first went and he said, What would thou have me to do? And God told him, He's blind. He said, Go to Damascus, and I'll send somebody your way, and you'll meet him. He'll tell you. You see, God was going to reveal to Paul what he wanted him to do. And he's going to use another believer to do that. And I don't know how God works. I believe he still works in that way today. We need each other. We need each other's insights. We need each other's, their touch with God. Now, let's move on to verse 3. Again, he refers back to the thinking. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself. Now, here's where I think a lot of Christians stumble and fall to. How they think about themselves. You gotta think right. You gotta think right about yourself. You gotta see yourself as God sees you. Yes, he sees that in this flesh there's no good thing that is gonna come out of it. But yet, when he looks at us now as a believer in Christ, he sees us differently than he does the lost. Doesn't mean he's not as cons he's concerned, he's no longer concerned about the lost. No, he is concerned about the lost. He always has been, ever will be, but yet today, when he looks at you as a believer, what does he see? What is his concern for you? His concern is that you be like you take on the image of his son. That's his will. That's his concern. That we be like his son. That, that our will is surrendered to his will. That you want to accomplish what God desires to accomplish with your life. You want that to happen. Don't think so pathetically low about yourself that you forget that who you are. You are as a son of God. And that is, that makes you different. Doesn't make you better. No, it's our thinking. And then, then you've got to think right about yourself in relationship to others. Because those are what it says. You don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But you're to think soberly, accordingly, as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. You see, I should not think any less of you than I think of myself. Those that are born again, they are as much a child of God as I am. And so, 
we're on the same level. It's not a, it's, it's not a matter of, of who has the more money, who has the finer clothes, who has the bigger house, who has It's not a matter of material possessions. It's a matter of spiritual connection with God. If you're spiritually connected with God, and I'm spiritually connected with God, then we are on the same foot when it comes to God. And God does not see us differently then. Now, when what we do and how obedient we are, ah, now that will make a difference. God pays attention to that. Now, when we go into verses 4 and 5, we begin to, begin to see the body. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Now you can relate that in a number of ways, and you can see where Christianity has really fallen apart in this area. We got fractures, we got groups, we got denominations, we got splits and splinters here and there. That should not be. They are, and God still works in and among them, but that's not His perfect will. His perfect will is that we see that we are a unified body of believers. Doesn't mean that we agree on, on every little jot and tittle, uh, every portion of the scripture, understanding of scripture, but you gotta push that sign. We are one in Christ. John chapter 17. Christ's high priestly prayer. The latter part of that passage, the latter part of that chapter speaks about the believers that shall come. It, it, there's the prayer that Christ prayed concerning himself, then he prayed about concerning the apostles, and then he, then he prays about those that will come after them. And what does he pray? You, you, you see it. What does he pray? He prays that they may be one, that the believers might be one. You need to go through that verse some time and really pay attention to it. It says in verse 20, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them which also shall believe on me through their word, the, the apostles' word, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. Have the same mind, have the same heart, have the same desire, have the same will. That the world may believe that you have sent me. And the glory which thou gave, gavest me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, complete in one. 
and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. That oneness. It begins when we present our bodies. It begins and it carries on as we're transforming our minds, our thinking. How do we do that? We do that through God, through prayer, and in His Word. We learn to think like God thinks. We learn to have the passions that God has. And that's what we need. That's what God expects. That is the will of God, that we be like Him in these ways. Well, I trust that you've been challenged. You see what God has said. You see what God desires. Now, are you ready to present your body as a living sacrifice? Are you ready? I trust you. And so, Father, we ask that you'll take these thoughts from your word and you'll challenge our hearts and our lives to have the higher standing, the higher understanding, your one, your will. And may they honor thee. May our lives be changed because we're going to make changes so that our life will honor you. And that, Father, that you may see fit to willingly use us in whatever way you want. And we'll thank you for that which you do in Jesus' name.